2: You know growing up it, it was a, a lot of questions within myself about identity and um, it took me you know going away and coming back coming full circle you know to, to yeah. really find my
1: identity Appalachian Meets World a podcast about place and perspective but always Appalachian and
0: don't forget, Will, tonight's episode is powered by SOAR.
1: Shaping our Appalachian region. If you're an entrepreneur out there, especially in eastern
0: Kentucky, check them out.
1: Appalachian meets world.
0: We're back another week. It's Will. And Neil. What's up, my man? What going on? Proud to be here. Glad to be here. Yeah, how's week? Man, so far so good. Just uh, sunshine starting to poke through a little bit. Spring is uh, in the air, feels like. Everywhere I go, everybody everybody I talk to, man, the sun's out. It just changes their whole mood. It's great. Hey, man, I thought I would jump right into a little Appalachian news. Yeah, it sounds great. I was about to ask. First thing I wanted to ask you about, did you watch
1: the dunk competition?
0: Man, I wanted to. Just, uh, you know, I missed it. Uh, I saw a couple of highlights, though. Tell me about Matt McClung. That's the thing. Not too often do you get to talk about the dunk
1: competition in relation to Appalachian News. Ain't that the truth. (laughs) (laughs) He's definitely representing the area. He pulls out the Gate City jersey in the last two dunk competitions representing his high school, representing his town, representing his region,
0: representing Appalachia. I think it's awesome. Yeah, it's, it's pretty unbelievable what, what he's done two years in a row, man. Somebody needs to get him on contract, like a long contract. What are we doing? Exactly. He was G League Rookie of the Year. They
1: talked about that during the competition. Why are people putting him on a contract? I guess because he's so
0: short. But, I mean, he jump out of the gym. I guess, man. I mean, as it goes to show you that uh, it takes more than hops to play at that level, but the man's got a good solid game. I don't I don't really understand it, but obviously uh there's people out there that know more than me, I guess. I guess so. But uh I want to give him his props, say
1: thank you for representing the region so well. You know, he could be in the dunk competition and never mention where he's from. Never mentioned anything about the region. However, he celebrates the region, kind of like this podcast. So I give him his props. Congratulations on a back-to-back win, and hopefully, he'll get a contract soon.
0: Yeah, I hope so. I look, I look forward to him being uh, on our show soon. Yeah, me too. <laughs> a couple other,
1: couple other items I wanted to mention: the Voices of Appalachian Play Festival being hosted at the Greenbrier Valley Theater in Lewisburg, West Virginia. So dozens of plays were submitted, and they narrowed it down to seven that are going to be performed on stage. It's about local stories and storytellers in the region. It's something they do every year, and this year it's going to be run for two nights. It starts today, February 23rd, Today and tomorrow, so I wanted to mention that. You can get your tickets, $20 for general seating, 15 for students and seniors. It's at the Greenbrier Valley Theater. It, if you want the website, it's gvtheater.org, so you can check that out if you're in the area. Also, one other item I wanted to mention, uh, the Brookings Institute came out with a study It showed a striking disparity in asset poverty rates between African-Americans and white Americans. One in five African-Americans have experienced asset poverty for three generations in contrast to white Americans where only one in a hundred face similar challenges. I wanted to mention that because in West Virginia, the governor announced a $1 million investment to the Center for Economic and Community Development specifically aimed at supporting the African-American community in Appalachia. So it'll be based in Marshall University and it's designed to provide essential research and data infrastructure to assist black businesses in West Virginia. So focus on entrepreneurship, focus on businesses. It's a thoughtful idea to start this center at Marshall University. I just wanted to mention that. We'll mention it too, that we'll put it in the show notes. They're doing a lot of thing, programmatic activities around research, around uh, putting on business summits, around entrepreneurship, uh, some things around housing, new market tax credits, and really just building community resources in that region of West Virginia.
0: Awesome, well, Good stuff. Great stuff going on in Appalachia in 2024 so far.
1: Yeah, I wanted to mention that because it is Black History Month. And a guest that we have today, Miss Emily Hudson. She is the executive director and founder of the Southeast Kentucky African-American Museum and Cultural Center in Hazard, Kentucky. She actually moved away from the region And like they often do, the mountains called her back. And she came back to really start this center as one thing, but also just to come back home. And we'll talk to her and ask her about that, ask her about the center, get her story, and just one of many voices in Appalachia that we like to put on the show.
0: Yeah, well, I'm looking forward to this conversation. Uh, Such a great accomplishment by Emily, and uh, I can't wait to get into it. All right, you can get her on. Yeah, let's do it.
1: On the episode today, we have Miss Emily Hudson. She grew up in Hazard, Kentucky, um, and left with, in, in regards to a career as a writer. And reporter. She also is an author, best known for the book Soul Minor. In 2021, however, she founded the Southeast Kentucky African American Museum and Cultural Center and moved back home, which this cultural center seeks to share stories of African Americans in eastern Kentucky that the stories that were left untold in Kentucky history. So, Emily, thank you so much for being part of the show, being part of this episode.
2: Uh, thank you for inviting me.
1: Like most Appalachians, they're big on history and tradition. My brother and I, our family's big on tradition as well. One of those traditions we have, we have appetizers at the holidays, like this gigantic spread of appetizers, bigger than the food that we get for the meal. So wanted to ask you, do you have a favorite appetizer?
2: You know, I'm going to say this, because um, uh, I'm sitting here thinking about um, our family gatherings and and all the food. And I guess when it comes to appetizers, <laughs> this is going to sound a little um, weird. But my favorite of all things, I mean, is potato chips. Give me a bowl of potato chips and dip. <laughs> all
0: right. Yeah, yeah. I
1: like it. What, what kind? Just the plain potato chips?
2: Plain. The plain. Now, I, I can do the ruffles, too, with the ridges. But I, I really that. like the, the the plain. They're simple. Uh, the the taste, the salt, the salty taste, and that's it. Just uh, yeah, I
1: love I love that answer. So my brother and I we're big on dips. So you mentioned dips. So what what kind of dips with your plain potato chips?
2: Um, I think I like the uh, the French 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 onion onion. dip, and the ranch second.
1: Yeah, we're on the same wavelength. I'm a I'm a big big fan. Yeah, that, that that's perfect. You know, I mentioned your career as a as a reporter. Um, that kind of took you away from the mountains uh, where you have always called home. Can you just tell a little bit about your background? What took you away and what brought you back?
2: I uh, went to Berea college. I I like to write and, you know, I I had thought about going into journalism, but my initial thing uh, when I went off to college was uh, library science. I worked uh, in the summers and after school, as a teenager at our local library, and I really, you know, like that. And uh, the only closest place uh, with that degree was Moorhead. And my daddy wanted me to go to Berea because that's where my older brother was. And Berea didn't have um, uh, library science. They didn't have journalism. Uh, So I went for the next closest thing. That was English. And so I graduated it with a, a degree in a bachelor's degree in English that led me looking for a career in that. Um, and it, it led me to Indianapolis where I worked for a black owned weekly newspaper uh, called the Indianapolis Recorder. And I was the only female reporter and um, I was the Women's editor. I had three pages that to make up, and it was a it was a great learning experience, and um, and everything. I stayed there for about nine months, and then moved to Cleveland, Cleveland, Ohio. And uh, I was a freelance writer. Uh, I worked for a youth organization um, up there, uh, working with uh, teenagers and so forth. Uh, but there was always something within me, you know, I I wanted to go back. I just kept calling me back home, but there was no jobs back home. You know how that goes. Even though I had a bachelor's degree in English, uh, I knew that that wasn't going to get me a job back home. So I went to the Cuyahoga Community College, got a two year um, degree in health information technology. I worked for a couple of years in Cleveland in the um, Health Information Management Department. It was Medical Records Department at that time. It was a small hospital, and then I eventually got a job. A job came up back home, Whitesburg, Kentucky, uh, for Appalachian Regional Healthcare. Got that job, and I worked for ARH for twenty-six years. Uh, five of those years in Whitesburg, and then the rest in Hazard. Um, but that's what you know enabled me to come back home. And uh, while I was up in Cleveland. I was, because I love history, and um, I was engaged in some oral history projects through some uh, funding from Berea. So I was traveling from Cleveland back home doing interviews and so forth, uh, and that was in the late 80s and early 90s, but I never did anything with those interviews. They kind of yeah. got put on a shelf, and then I, my life took another direction into the ministry, and. Um, so in 2020 it was actually in 2020 that the urge came back around okay now it's time uh for uh the museum um so we um started that and southeast kentucky african american museum and cultural center and it it was based on the the need to really tell the story of african american in appalachia and in, in particular southeast kentucky and so we pulled I pulled off those interviews and I'm working on those interviews to put on our website we have a website and uh, but it's it's a rich history and we not only um you know we're based in Perry County um but we plan on reaching out into the counties that touch our borders uh Leslie County Breathitt County Knott County Letcher County and also sharing uh, the history of blacks in those counties. Also, some of those counties you say, well, I, I don't know, didn't know there's any black history there, and but it's there. When I was in Cleveland, and the organization I worked for, it was, it was owned by a black woman. She didn't know how to take me because I'm, you know, light skinned. Not sure how I was wearing my hair back then, but then I opened up my mouth, and there's my accent, <laughs> and uh, so she really didn't know how to take me. Because and the and the 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 reason why is because she did not know that black people lived in the mountains because the media never showed that Uh, and so that's that perception that that was there and it's still it's still you know there so
0: yeah.
1: That's that, that's a great story of, uh, you know, dispelling some of those misconceptions, even in other places like when you when you're in Cleveland. But also like the fact that, you know, Neil and I say all the time there's little magic in the mountains. They always, always draw you back. And I like the fact that sometimes there there is that lack of opportunity in the mountains. And I like the fact that there was that opportunity through the A.R.H. Um, that brought you back And 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 provided that opportunity. But I also wanted to ask you, uh, we've had uh, Bill Turner, Dr. William Turner on the show before, and he talked about his book, The Harlan Renaissance. And he talked about, you know, that book's based on a lot of his stories growing up in Harlan. What was your experience like growing up in Hazard?
2: Well, I'm, I'm, I'm sure it was a little different. I didn't, you know, get out to experience things like my other black friends did. Let's just say my, my daddy uh, kept us in, kept the girls <laughs> in. <laughs> you
0: know, if, yeah, in, in my book, that.
2: Soul Minor, there's a piece there called uh, Coming Full Circle. And it talks about um, me growing up, trying to reconcile my identity as a African-American Uh, side of me and my Appalachian culture, both cultures. I was, I grew up trying to reconcile, you know, that. uh, If you read in that book, it, you know, it talks about, um, um, you know, I grew up watching Hee Haw. I wanted to be a a country Western singer and, you know, that kind of a thing. And uh, I didn't, um, you know, listen to a lot of black music. My dad, my father, he served in the Korean War. And when he came home, he brought home this radio, this, uh, I mean, it's one of those floor model radios um, that was actually taller than me. It picked up stations from all over the world. And one day I was fiddling around with it and I came across this uh, radio station out of, I think it was Knoxville, Tennessee, and it was called Randy's Record Mark and you know was playing all these um um you know black songs and Motown and you know all of that and and um and it was the first time I really really listened you know uh to black music and then it talks about um my story goes on again you know when I went to Berea and how I was exposed um uh, you know to a lot of cultural things and and so forth um so you know growing up it, it was a a lot of questions within myself about identity and um it took me you know going away and coming back of coming full circle you know to to yeah. really find my identity
1: yeah i've felt the same it took me going away to to help me appreciate the mountains even more yeah. Since since leaving coming back have you seen changes in the mountains
2: um i came back in the 90s um uh, I started working with um, ARH and on, on December. I remember the date, December the twentieth, nineteen ninety. There were there were things um, that had changed, and there's things that had not changed. One of the things I had two two children at that time, uh, seven and eight years old, something like that. And when they were in Cleveland, they were in um, uh, I forget what they called that program, but it's, it's a program for smart kids. <laughs> and, um, and the, so they were, they were in that program and, and, um, when they came home, you know, and I'm saying to myself, you know, I'm glad, you know, get out of the city, you know, and bring my kids in, you know, to this uh, school system and so forth. And but that first day they came home, they came home with questions like, why were they treated different? Um, you know they you know the school system had uh, one of those programs too, but you know they weren't chosen to be put in that and and um um the school it was just different that was a different thing It really surprised me with some of the questions that they came home asking our school um system one of the things that um just just really i'll say bothers me, and um you know we've got to do something about it. Our school system doesn't have any black teachers, and um, you know, I'm I'm questioning why is that? Why is that? Yeah. you know, and uh, because you know, every student needs to have someone there that looks like them, and you know that kind of a thing. But you know, that's one of the one of the things that you know we're hoping to kind of delve into it, uh, later day, and yeah. and job wise. Um, <clears throat> You know, you you didn't see a lot of um, you know, blacks in higher positions, um, you know, businesses and so forth. So that hadn't changed.
1: Always, always good to hear different perspectives in that regards about, you know, especially when you have that outside perspective and you come back in of what has changed for the better or the worse. It kind of to that point, I wanted to ask you about the museum. My brother and I started this podcast to really dispel some of the misconceptions that people have about Appalachia. Um, Is that one of the reasons why you wanted to start the museum and what's the significance behind the museum itself or the cultural center?
2: Um, It's it's to tell the stories, to tell the stories uh, because I know you've heard it expressed uh, this way, you know, that are Black, the, uh, black story is not told in the mountains. Um, you know, I look at it as um, you have the history book and those pages have been removed. And so we're trying to reinsert them into the history book. And in telling the story of uh, the black person in Appalachia or Southeast Kentucky, um, you know, we're telling the story uh, within the context of overall history because you really can't tell history and the stories, you know, without um, reporting on both sides, you know, both, both, you on the cultures that's there. You can't leave one out and, and so forth. So, you know, we're, we're trying to look at the overall overarching history and telling the stories within that and how we intersect. But it's about telling those stories and trying to, you know, catch as many as you can before it's too late. Uh, we interviewed a lady that was 104 years old. She's still with us. But next on that list was a lady that was in her uh, late 90s. She passed away before we could get her. So, you know, her stories are gone, uh, you know, unless we can capture, you know, some of that from her, her kids, her children, her grown yeah. children. Yeah. But, you know, it's nothing like getting the story from that person's own own, own mouth.
1: Yeah, that's a really good example. Do you, do you want to let our listeners know or do you want to speak to uh, any other examples of what, you know, if they come to the museum, the cultural center, what they expect to see or hear?
2: First of all, um, I'll say that we are not in our physical building yet. Okay, uh, We're working with the city, partnering with the city uh, for a building. We have a building. It's just have, It has to be some restoration and, you know, working on uh, to get it to get it ready. And we're hoping that happens sometimes later this year, uh, but we we have a um a website, Facebook page, and so forth. Uh, and I encourage you to visit our website. It's like just touching, just scratching the surface, though.
1: Do you, do you have uh, do you, what is the
2: website? You... Uh, it's www
1: it is Black History Month th- this month. What's the significant uh, significance behind that and, and, and the cultural museum, especially as it pertains to Appalachia and the efforts that you, that you wanted to provide and, and yeah. displaying what is in the museum?
2: Yeah, uh, Black History Month. And, you know, we say it all the time. Black history is every month, That's and,
0: right. uh, but yeah. it
2: is an opportunity to, you know, bring some of the uh, history, you know, to to the forefront. And I'm I'm big on local history. Our local history. I recently visited our library, and they had a really nice exhibit of um of pictures that were posted around the library of black black um, Science in in the science um in the entertainment industry sports uh you know that kind of thing and uh, so I asked the person there at the library what well, do you have any local you know people li- uh, listed
0: yeah.
2: and and um, and and she didn't you know it's like she hadn't thought about that yeah. uh so I told her. For next time, you do this exhibit, we'll work together, and I'll I'll help you get some local faces, uh, you know, uh, displayed.
1: I, I want well. I wanted to ask you. You know, you mentioned the physical space, which you hope to finish this year. But do you going forward, do you have? I'm assuming you have continuing plans to uplift the voice, the untold voices. But what additional plans do you have for the museum going forward?
2: Um. Well, you know doing that, you know, and in the exhibits and so forth. Um, for example, one of the exhibits that we have will have, and it will be a permanent exhibit, is of the um, um, first Black high school and um, the one that followed. Uh, H- Higgins High School was built in 1928 in Vico, Kentucky, and there's people that don't even know that this Vico Kentucky had a black high school so in 1928 and the students from Hazard were they caught a bus to go up to Vicko to attend the school it got to be so many students they decided to build the school in Hazard and that was Liberty Liberty High School and it actually had grades 1 through 12 but Liberty High School and it was built in 1936 will will have exhibits you know, from those two schools and so forth, uh, because that's that's um, that educational picture. Um, you know, we don't want people to forget. When we look at our younger generation and I've talked to some of our uh, young young, young students and at the high school level, at the middle school level, and, and even some adults and, um, you know, about their local history, you know, do you know how Hazard was founded? Uh, uh, perry county was founded and you know they don't they don't you know this generation really doesn't know their local history not just you know when they're talking about black history but they just don't know their local history yeah and yeah. um so that's one of the things that we want to try to do is, is somehow work with the schools to get to introduce that local history back this yeah, summer we're, okay. we're planning on having um um history a summer history camp a history summer camp uh a summer camp that focuses on you know this local history but we think that's so important uh that that you know kids know their history know their roots know where they're from
1: 100 percent agree I, I was going to ask you about that if you had plans to educate the youth or or, or better educate the youth on where they're where they come from a lot of the times. Yeah. People leave the region without even really understanding where they come from or or, or the significance of the place that they live. You know, place is right. so important for Appalachia. And I'm glad, feel honored talking to you that you actually are going out and spreading that local history, especially in the schools. And and I, I encourage you to keep that up, uh, especially in the area or or all over eastern Kentucky for for that matter. I wanted to ask you if you Few personal questions, if you don't mind. What's your favorite thing to do in Appalachia? Hmm.
2: Um, I like nature, so you know, I like to walk. I won't call it hiking, <laughs> <laughs>
0: um,
2: but I, I do like to to walk, and I like to travel, and you know, look at look at the natural scenes and so forth. Um, well, to that
1: point, what's your favorite place in Appalachia?
2: Um, it depends on the mood that I'm in.
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay.
2: Um, Natural Bridge. I I, I recall a, a visit where I went to Natural Bridge. Uh, you know, all by myself, and you know, I like to get away. Um, you know, and get away and and um, kind of uh meditate and to write. Right and so forth. And I remember going um, up the trail and to the top of the bridge and, you know, just looking out and I like to take pictures, uh, just, you know, record, um, you know, journeys, you know. So uh, that that's one of my favorite things to do.
1: That's great. I, I, I want to, uh, you mentioned Hee Haw. I was a huge fan growing up of Hee Haw. I remember watching it at my papa and grandmother's house. Every, every, you know, every time it would come on, we'd sit there and watch it. But I I wanted to ask you, you know, you talked about the music in Hee Haw and the music you listened to growing up. Do you have a favorite song?
2: Um, hm A favorite song? Not really.
1: Uh, favorite. Not, you, not... What type of music do you still listen to?
2: Um, now, right now, I I listen to a lot of uh, uh, gospel. And Let's see, I went into the ministry in nineteen ninety. 98 and so I've been in the ministry ever since then so I like to listen to a lot of uplifting music and I yeah. also like to listen to jazz okay um, it's a certain type of jazz but jazz has a way I, I like to write uh, poetry sometimes I write a lot of poetry uh, I listen to music and it's like j- jazz jazz kind of t- takes me somewhere into a place of you know where I can be creative and so forth two types of music I like to listen to. Uh,
1: I like it. What what do you have a favorite historical Appalachian like historical figure from Appalachia?
2: Um boy well, you ask is some really I I tell you the the historical uh that's still living is <laughs> yeah, Dr. Turner, Bill Turner.
0: Okay.
2: When I was um I kind of look at him as a mentor when I was um doing the oral history interviews back in the late 80s early 90s and actually um, uh, got to present a paper at a conference at Berea um, during that time and as I went to Berea and entered Berea I think I had a flat tire or something something happened to my car and um, Bill Turner came to my rescue (laughs)
0: <laughs> and um,
2: he helped me get my car going again. And he was actually speaking, uh, presenting a paper also at that conference. And we've been friends since then.
1: One more quick question cornbread or biscuits?
2: It depends on what I'm eating it with. <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay. you're eating my soup beans, cornbread. All right. You, you crumble it let up. Me tell you, you,
2: let me tell you about okay. soup beans. Let me tell you All about because right. soup beans, you know, one of, one of the things that, you know, we've been looking at is food. in in our cultures, food in Appalachian culture, food in the African-American culture. And one of the things that, you know, I see the soup beans, you know, soup beans can be found on the table of a black black person on a Sunday uh, afternoon. It can be found on the table, white family, on a Sunday afternoon, cornbread, onions. And and then there's some that always adds uh, sauerkraut.
1: Yes, it 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 is my quintessential. It is my favorite meal. If, if I if I had my last meal, it would be soup beans and cornbread. Yeah, with with kraut. But for some reason, my mom always fixed salmon patties. I don't know if you right. have salmon patties. She would oh, have yeah. salmon patties with soup beans and cornbread and kraut and onions. I always have to put onions. Yeah. In
2: okay. Now we had <laughs> the salmon patties for for breakfast.
1: Okay. Um, oh yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. My, my daddy, he would always fix salmon patties and for, for breakfast, even to this day, You see my mom's 87 years old and, um, my son lives with her. I mean, my uh, brother lives with her and he fixes her salmon patties, uh, quite often for breakfast.
0: <laughs> okay. And,
1: uh, I do have two last questions that we ask everyone, um, on the show and, and, uh, one of those is what's the first thing you think of when you hear the word Appalachia?
2: Mountains, hills. Yeah, yeah above the mountains. And uh, the, there's a sacredness about the mountains. Um, if you stand still long enough, you can hear the voices from the past uh, whispering. And they're saying, tell them, I was
0: here. Yeah. Oh, I love that.
1: I'm going to write that down for sure. Is that in your book?
2: It will be in my book. I'm, I am working on a book.
1: Okay. <laughs> but, heard um, here first. <laughs> but last question. So we kind of ground our podcast on place and perspective. I, I said earlier, place is really important. Not only to us, but to Appalachia in general. So we wanted to ask you just, and I think we know the answer, but just where do you call home? What makes it home for you? What makes it unique?
2: Oh, these mountains! I just uh, finished a. Um, I've pub- I've published uh, four books, two inspirational books, and and uh, uh, Soul Miner, a collection of poetry. And I just finished and it, it's it's left the press of my second collection of poetry, and it is called Home. You know, I, I, it seems like I've I've heard a lot of conversations about the topic of home. And uh, you know what is what is home to you? For me, it, it I mean it is the mountains. It's like the mountains are they're they're inside. Uh, home is it's in, inside. The mountains are inside. Um, they called me, you know, when I was in Cleveland in the city, and they called me back home. So there's there's something about being you know in in the mountains. If I had my book in here, I would I would read a little bit. Um, the Soul Miner book because it that opening piece talks about home also, but it it ends by saying yes you can come home again.
1: Emily Miss Hudson, I wanted to thank you so much for being on the episode, but really thank you for what you're doing and spreading that that local history not only to your area but to the region as a whole with the uh, museum and cultural center, but also what you're, what you're doing uh, in general to help just better educate and help people better understand the local history there. So thank you.
2: Well, thank you again for inviting me to be on. And I do encourage everyone to check out our website. And when you go to our website, make sure you check the tab that says stories behind the quilt. And I will leave it at that. It's a mystery until you go check it out. <laughs> All
0: right,
1: I, we love we love mysteries on on uh, Appalachian meets World. So we appreciate that. But, <laughs> thanks so much.
2: All right.
0: So oh, Will Emily. She's uh, doing big things here in Eastern Kentucky. So such a great conversation. Glad to glad to speak to her and learn about what she's got going on.
1: Yeah, she got such an interesting story of you know growing up in the mountains, leaving, going to the big city, Um, but really the mountains, like
0: like we always say, the little magic in those mountains that drew her back. Yeah, for sure. so nice to see good people coming back to the mountains. Uh, I'm a, I'm a, I like to think I'm a product of that. And uh, it's great to, to have her here in, in Eastern Kentucky. Yeah, I, f-
1: I found it, as part of her story, interesting to hear her dual identities in regards to her cultural heritage, her upbringing, of how she loved, he used to watch Hee Haul. Kind of reminded me watching Hee Haw, but also uh, just being conflicted in regards to where she's from, where she moved to. Uh, Just a great person, great story, uh, doing great things back in the mountains.
0: Yeah, so uh, with that being said, do you have a uh, business of the week for us this week, Will?
1: An app biz, I do. We mentioned it briefly last week as part of the – Soar Kentucky Innovation Team, their finalists in their pitch competition. But I wanted to mention this uh, black-owned business, Dad Distilling, that's D-A-A-D, Aaron Floyd and Antonio Santago. They're both fathers, but also lovers of bourbon, and they wanted to start a distillery in Garrett County, Kentucky they started in April 23 and hope to have the distilling company up and running by 25. Um, they're doing some really cool things. It's not only focused around bourbon, but also focused around family, focus around culture. You can check out their Facebook page at dad distilling, find out a little bit more about what they're doing, but it's a really, uh, I won't say innovate. I'm going to say bourbon's innovative, but the way they're doing it uh, to be a black owned business there in Garrett County, it's just a cool story and wish them well and, and give them some support
0: and check them out. Yes, sir. Will do. Uh, sounds good. Will uh, really enjoyed the episode. Thanks for your time again. And uh, hopefully our listeners enjoy as well.
1: Yeah. Thank uh, Miss Hudson, Miss Emily Hudson one more time. For being on the show, sharing her story, giving her voice, and all the things she's doing there in eastern Kentucky, Appalachia. I guess since we're at the end, we can end it like we usually do. Till next time. Peace! I'm
0: up in the mountains again. I'm getting lighter. The air's getting thin. Now I'm facing down with the grim. I'm The city too long, sidewalks and buildings and singing sad songs. Now I'm back up where I belong in the mountains.